0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Episode 9 of the O.I., an Offside Hockey Talk podcast with yours truly, Jamie Anstey. My guest is entering into his 10th season as a head athletic therapist for the Edmonton Oil Kings, which is in the Western Hockey League here in Canada. Also had a stint with the Tri-City Americans, also in the WHO, Western Hockey League was also a member of the Oral King staff who enjoyed WHL championships in 2012 and 2014 and a Memorial Cup championship in 2014, CHL's top prize. The Mount Pearl native served as an athletic therapist with Hockey Canada for the U-17 Pacific team in 2012 and won gold at the 2013 Ivan Halenka Memorial Tournament. He was named athletic therapist of Team Canada for the IHF World Junior Hockey Championships in Finland in 2016, and again in Montreal and Toronto in 2017, where the team captured a silver medal in 2018. He captured a gold medal with Team Canada at the IHF World Junior Hockey Championships in Buffalo. Also a member of the staff at the 2014 Top Prospects game, the 2016 CIBC Canada-Russia Series Series, And most recently, it was a member of Team Orr at the 2019 Sherman-Williams-CHL-NHL Top Prospects game and also was athletic therapist for Team Canada at the 2021 World Junior Hockey Championships, which was held in Edmonton, Alberta. Brian Cheeseman. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? I'm well. uh, How's the weather in uh, Edmonton? I believe you're in... You're residing in Edmonton right now, as you are with the Edmonton Oil Kings in the WHL. So, tell me how Edmonton is right now.
1: You know what? Uh, we've had a pretty a pretty mild winter from an Edmonton and an Alberta standpoint, but
0: we're making up
1: for it now, man. It's it's cold. It's uh, it's plug in your car season in Edmonton right now. So this is the first day of. What they're saying is going to be about a week-long cold snap, but uh, we've been spoiled, so if it's only going to last for a week, I'll take it. I'll gladly take it. I,
0: I have friends in Saskatchewan, and uh, it's, it's pretty cold up there right now, and we'll get into uh, the WHL talk here in a little bit, but I got you on the Offside Hockey Talk for a reason. Um, I want to talk about your World Junior experience and also you're now with the Edmonton oil Kings. You've been there quite a while as the athletic therapist, but for everyone here in the East coast, uh, tell, tell us how your journey started, where, where it all began. And you're from Newfoundland. So, uh, yeah. what, what made you, uh, move away from the rock?
1: You, you know what? It's, uh... It's funny, you know. No matter, there's that old saying: no matter where you go in the world, you, there's someone from Newfoundland there, right? So, uh, I, I joke with with everybody back home that uh, I'm just another Newfoundlander who ended up working in Alberta. Uh, unlike most, I'm I'm not in the in the oil and gas or trades industry. Uh, I really commend those people, you know, who work on the turnaround and, and spend all that time away from their family and uh, you know, time away from home and the place they love and the people they love. But yeah, Jamie, for me. Um, you know, I, I don't think if I had a time machine and I could go back to, you know, high school and early university and and, and know that I was going to be in the position that I'm in right now. Uh, but for me, it it kind of, it, it was happenstance. Uh, I was kind of a little bit adrift at month. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. I thought I was going to do uh, something in the geology, earth sciences field, because obviously the offshore oil industry was starting to boom in the late 90s and early 2000s back home. and. That was my initial focus I always had a pretty good handle on science and stuff in high school and you know what man I uh I got in there and it just wasn't for me and uh, I remember going home and telling mom and dad that evening at the dinner table uh you know how's your day what'd you do well hey, sorry guys I dropped out of university today and don't worry I got a full refund we're all good there I got all my money back and <laughs> so uh my dad was like well you know what that that's good for you like that's an it's an important decision to make but Uh, you can stay here. You can stay under our roof as long as you get some full-time work. And uh, I was working part-time as a a security person and usher at Memorial Stadium um, in St. John's. And eventually that turned into Mile One Stadium and um, went to work full-time there, uh, 12-hour shifts. And as luck would have it, I got stationed on the St. John's Maple Leafs dressing room. And was during practice one day i ended up striking up a conversation with their athletic therapist nick at jib and we just i got talking to him about what he did for a job and how long he'd been doing it and uh i said hey what the heck and nick do you mind if i come on a day off uh, one of my days off at work and kind of watch what you do and he didn't hesitate to say sure absolutely if you can come on in any day and you know it's it's funny uh you know sometimes you you think you have life figured out. And then, you know, you, you get an opportunity like that. And I go in there and get to watch him on a practice day. And, and honestly, man, within 20, 30 minutes of being in there, I'm like, this is it. This is, this is me. This is, I could see myself doing this for a long time. And that was how it started. You know, I spent some time with Nick and I uh, applied to university or sorry, college in, in Ontario It's an athletic therapy program in Sheridan college. And, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. That experience with the St. John's Maple Leafs turned into an opportunity to be a student therapist with the Hamilton Bulldogs, uh, Montreal's affiliate. Uh, I'm uh, like most people on the East Coast. I'm a you either cheer for the red, white, and blue, or you cheer for the blue and white. And I'm a diehard Habs guy, so that was a, an awesome experience to start. And you know that kind of opened some doors into junior hockey. And I mean, I've been doing this now. This will be my 11th season in Edmonton and my 12th season overall. So, you know, it all kind of, right place, right time, man. I've got an uncanny ability just to, to fall in with the right people at the right time. And um, yeah, it's, it's led to some incredible opportunities and it's led to, uh, you know, some incredible stories too. So,
0: I'm a, I'm a huge Maple Leafs fan, so I got to ask, uh, I'm also a Terry Ryan fan. Were you in St. John's with the team? while Terry was there in 99, 2000? No, my the, my
1: primary time spent with the Leafs uh, as a student uh, trainer or therapist was the last season that they had uh, in St. John's before they moved uh, to become the Toronto Marlies. So um, they had a really good team that year, a lot of good young players. And, um, you know, would have liked, selfishly, would have liked to have, you know, been able to experience a long playoff run, um, you know, not only for myself, but for, for the city and for the people that supported that franchise for so long, but, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. And um, yeah, it was, again, it, it started me on on the journey that I'm on right now and forever grateful to for that opportunity. So. I'm,
0: I'm currently with a junior team myself here in the Maritime Cole Harbor, where McKinnon and Crosby are, are from. And a friend of mine has been with the AUS St. Mary's Huskies the last number of years. And, he started in junior A, and all of a sudden, uh, Trevor Steinberg called him, and, and uh, there was a position opening, and so he took it. And uh, still to this day, hey, if the Growlers ever called called me or called Mike, or, I don't think we could hesitate for one second. I think we'd be on that train right to Newfoundland, and it's, it's unbelievable that I know – they had an AHL team. They had a, now they have an East coast team, but it, it gave you that opportunity to, to find your calling, find your, whatever you want to call it. And I'm in the same position. I'm, I'm loving what I do. And I've said, I've said this countless amount of times where I, th- I believe COVID has been a blessing. It's, it's allowed me to kind of sit home, think what I want to actually do and help the Cole Arbor Colts help, a team help, and we're very lucky we we've, we're now like I think we're on a third restart we started October 30th it it stopped November 30th now we're on a I believe our third restart so uh being at the rink the other day uh, it was it was crazy no fans we're still playing but the compete level is still there and how is everything in in Edmonton are you guys practicing I know AUS is practicing in um, Halifax, and Mike Mike Fines is balls to the wall. He's he's busy he's sixty hours a week, and he's still going at it, even though there's no games. Um, I believe AUS hockey is the same as the East Coast League, and there's lots to do. And are you in the similar? Are you in the similar boat? Are you keeping busy? Like I know we'll talk about the World Juniors, which ended January fifth, but. When you came back uh, after the tournament, how's life been in, in Edmonton? <laughs> well, you know,
1: it, I, I'm fortunate to work, uh, you know, where I work and to work for who I work for with, uh, you know, a great general manager and a great coaching staff and support staff. And um, I know we'll talk about the tournament after, but, you know, it, it's a big commitment, right, to, to um, you know your family to your club team to leave at that time of year and, and this year especially in, in the middle of the pandemic was an extra layer to it but um you know they did give me some downtime after which i'm very thankful for it was great to be able just to hang out at home and reintroduce myself to my wife and reintroduce myself to my dog after being away for so long again and um you know it's been uh, for me it's been a, it's been busy uh and it's it's been busy probably i would say jamie since about may or june um been fortunate enough to be asked to be a part of a committee that helped put together a return to play protocol for our the Western Hockey League. That you know, through all of our shared experiences and through watching other leagues and other teams go through and other sports for that matter, you know, go through uh, life during a pandemic. There's no playbook for sports in a pandemic. It uh, when you think you have it all figured out, COVID throws you a curveball, and you got to adapt and adjust. And so. Through it all, um, we recently got approval, um, thankfully, through Alberta Health and through the Alberta government to begin a return to play uh, process here for our Alberta-based WHL teams. Um, If everything goes well, we should be starting on February 26th. But part of that, uh, part of our protocol is a mandatory isolation period for all players and staff uh, for each of the clubs here in Alberta, so right now, just quickly checking my calendar, I'm on day six of isolation. Um, and right. you know, what? it's it's honestly, when you, when you think about 12 to 14 days uh, in an isolation or quarantine type environment, your mind immediately goes to, man, this is going to be long. All oh, these days are going to be so long. What are we going to do? Like, how am I going to pass the time? And To our staff's credit, and by extension, our players, um, the buy-in has been incredible, man. Like, I run workouts for the guys every morning for about an hour over Zoom. Um, Our coaches are doing meetings with them, going over video and systems. Uh, We have a social hour for them every night where, you know, they can get on, they can play poker, they can play cards, they can just hang out and be teenagers. I, I know amongst themselves as a group, they've organized, you know, Uh, online NHL tournaments they're playing Call of Duty together they're you know they're even though they're apart um, and this is where dealing with this for 11 months like we talked about earlier about being on Zoom and and everything being virtual it allows them to be together without physically being together right so uh, that's where we're at right now we're almost halfway through this isolation period and yeah we hopefully get on the ice on February 12th or 13th and yeah we'll try and keep it going from there. I mean we know there's going to be challenges along the way undoubtedly, but we feel that we're you know we're going to be able to put our, our players' safety and our staff safety uh, you know at the forefront and, and hopefully have some success in regards to getting the season off the ground and continuing to have it go.
0: so do you, do you get an idea of how many games that may happen when the WHL restarts? Yeah, right now,
1: uh, we're scheduled to play 24 games. So basically, we're going to play every weekend, every Friday, Saturday, we're going to play the same team uh, in a weekend. So if we do have a a COVID issue or COVID concern, then we're only there's only two teams involved instead of, you know, potentially four if we're playing different opponents each. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of hard work and and, went in behind the scenes. And we were lucky enough to have some, some people consult with us from the outside. We'd worked with, uh, you know, the NHL, the CFL, the double IHF bubble. So, you know, we feel that we have a really good, a really good plan in place and it's going to allow our players an opportunity to finally, you know, after almost a full calendar year, finally get back together and and play the game that they love. And and for us, I mean, I've been spoiled. I've been able to be a part of, of two hockey events, you know, during COVID, but, you know, for our staff, for us to be able to get back together again, and for us to be able to be back in the environment that we love and doing the things we love every day, I think is, is key, right?
0: Did the WHL, as you're part of the WHL, did they look at the the Q, the Q League, and see how they were going? Because right now we've got uh, PEI, St. John and Moncton are out of the picture right now because of New Brunswick, they're in, I believe they're in code red, so it's... It's quite a mess in New Brunswick right now. So right now it's only Halifax, Cape Breton, and PEI playing however many times. Did you guys look at that and say, hey, like, this is how they're doing it. Maybe we can kind of do the same thing?
1: Yeah, and, and for sure we looked at, at other leagues and, and, you know, things they were successful in and things that they, they had some challenges in. Um know, and it's not just limited to junior hockey. I mean, obviously you've seen all the pro sports have have had their challenges with COVID, but I think what we've decided uh, to do here in our league, you know, is going to set us up hopefully for success this season. And we're very, we're unfortunate in that we have such a huge geographical area to pull from. I mean, we've got teams across four provinces and two states, and we're having to deal with, you know, multiple um, provincial health authorities and the state health authorities. So, I think switching, you know, from an Eastern and Western model into more of a regional Alberta, B.C., you know, Washington State, U.S., and and Saskatchewan, Manitoba model, I think, allows us to hopefully, um, you know, have some success in getting this started and getting it finished. But, again, I mean, this thing, as we've seen, Jamie, has been so unpredictable, and it's – there's curveball after curveball, and, you know, it's like Bobby the Brain Heenan, or I think it was Roddy Piper – once you think you got all the answers I change all the questions so I mean COVID does that to us too right like when we think from a medical standpoint we've got it all figured out inevitably something comes up so you know having contingency plans in place and 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 having a solid protocol you know across our league that we can then translate down to divisional uh setups and regional setups I think is definitely going to be a a huge advantage. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to get it going and hopefully, you know, we can, we can remain safe and remain healthy and, and uh, get these kids a season. Because I mean, ultimately that this is what it's all about. It's getting these guys back on the ice. It's giving them a chance to develop. It's given guys who are in their draft year, a chance to have some extra viewings by scouts. It's given our 20 year old players a potential opportunity to showcase their skills to maybe go play pro or, you know, to get a, a different CIS uh, opportunity. so it's it's probably although it's going to be the shortest season from a gameplay standpoint, I think it's probably going to be the most important season our league has seen in quite some time.
0: I hope I hope you guys play for the sake, like you just said, the prospects that are that have the potential to be drafted in this upcoming NHL draft when that draft happens. I'm not sure. Um, I know everyone across Canada wants to see Connor Bedard play. He plays for the Regina Pats, and I'll allow, you know, I, I follow Rod Peterson a lot on the Rod Peterson show, and and uh, I follow them a lot, and and I I've kind of just stood back and allowed them to talk because I know everyone in Saskatchewan, BC. I've got friends with the Langley Trappers in BC, and you know we're on the East Coast. We've got our own teams to kind of worry about. So enough COVID talk for right now one question I wanted to ask before we get into world juniors and and maybe some more in the WHL is it safe to say when teams are on teams are on buses they they gel a lot quicker like the, the there's that there's a camaraderie and we just experienced it last weekend I had my first bus trip with the, the junior team that I'm with and I, I just I believe that the team came together and we you know we we just we got to know each other. Is that a safe thing to say where when teams are on buses, they, they come together a little bit better?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, not only from a, from a, uh, a travel standpoint, but I mean, even just for to get your team back together in, in some type of training environment on the ice or off the ace, it's, it's key. And, uh, you know we're returning a lot of our of our core players uh, to our club this year, and those guys have stepped up in a huge way already. Virtually, you know, through these uh, Zoom meetings and video meetings that we're having, and they're really helping these young guys along. But but you're right. Until you you get back in person, um, you really don't get that opportunity to to bond and to um, and to gel. Right? Everyone loves that term, gelling as a team. Right? Coming together as a team, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see that that happen. I mean, obviously. while everybody's wearing masks and while everybody is social distancing and stuff. I mean, just because you're wearing a mask and you're six feet away from your buddy in the room doesn't mean that you still can't chirp them and and do what happens in, in, in dressing rooms and and bring that sense of normalcy back. And, you know, we've had a conversation lots throughout this whole pandemic. And I mean, ultimately we're all used to doing those things right now, right? Like we're all used to wearing masks when we go out, we're all used to social distancing and so on and so forth. But, none of that is new. So really you're coming back into an environment that you love already with these good, you know, COVID habits built in. So it's a recipe for success, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I know our guys are, are itching to get back, uh, you know, together at the rink and, and workouts and, and stuff like that. So it'll be, it'll be really cool to see them kind of get back together finally after, well, almost a full year apart.
0: No, a hundred percent. And I, I don't see a difference pre COVID. We, we lost a couple of guys last year, right around March. We were done anyways, March 10th. I believe we were, we, we got knocked out in the first round. And after that, yeah, COVID hit, but I haven't seen a change in our team. Um, the last two games were one on the road, one at home. And the, it, it doesn't even seem like COVID is, is going around this world. The guys are playing the systems that the coaches want them to play. And Hey, if you don't want to buy into the coach's system, and if you don't get along with people, there's, there's other options for you but we've been we've been we've been cruising uh despite COVID but I, I want to ask now Brian your world junior experience you, you were part of that team candidate in Buffalo is that correct?
1: Yeah yeah so that was uh the Buffalo year was uh you know what my wife refers to uh, me uh, is uh, my world junior hat trick so That was the third year in a row that i had been selected to be a part of the program of excellence and to work with the National Men's Junior uh, Program. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's an unbelievable experience to represent your country, whether you're an athlete or you're a staff member or you're a coach or you're a therapist or you're a team manager or whatever, right? Um, it's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, it's an experience and a responsibility that, you know, neither myself nor anybody who gets the opportunity to wear that, those colors take lightly. So um, it was a bucket list item for me. Uh, when I started my journey in athletic therapy and hockey was to work for team Canada. And, you know, that first year in Helsinki was an unbelievable experience um, you know, uh, from a, a bucket list standpoint, to be able to be at that tournament, to be at that tournament in Europe, to see how many Canadian fans travel, you know, at that time of year to be a part of that tournament was, was insane. I mean, it felt like we had home games in Helsinki. We had that much support there. And, you know, we, we didn't have a great showing that year. Um, But, you know, I was asked to come back the next year in the Toronto Montreal year. We had a fantastic team. We had a great group of coaches and trainers and staff and, you know, ultimately it came down to that, the shootout against the Americans and, we know how that ended. So you get the opportunity to come back a third time and we return almost our entire staff and a real good group of core players from that previous year. And man, like that, that feeling that you get when you win um, and you're on that blue line and, and you're shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with, with your players and your, and your staff and you're all belting in old Canada out at the top of your lungs is, is incredible. And, you know, I tell people I get chills just thinking about it. Right. And, I mean that, uh, along with winning the Memorial Cup, I think that's probably my proudest moment is, that I've had as in my professional career to this point. And um, yeah, you know, to be able to do it again this year was incredible, and to be able to do it in, in the building that I work in every day and in the city I live in, and it, it added a little special element to it. And we had such a great group of guys this year, and, and a great staff, and a great group of coaches. That you know, it's it's disappointing it ended the way it did, but that's. That's what happens in international hockey. I mean, you're one bounce away from from glory or, or you know, from failure. And, um, you know, I, th- I think there'll be a lot of players that potentially could return from that team next year. And I know having seen it before, there's an extra level of drive and an extra level of passion that comes with those guys that come back after suffering a stinging loss like that the next year that they, they have that big chip on their shoulder and they're like, yeah, you got us once. You're not going to get us again. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible, man. It's it's something that I'm very lucky to have done and I hope to have an opportunity to do again at some point.
0: No, I, I, I know team Canada would love to have you, especially with all your experience. And I'm a, I'm a Blackhawks fan as well. In that pre, and you may get this question a lot. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm gonna ask about the Kirby Doc situ- situation. I'm a huge Blackhawks fan, and now we all know he, he's out. He's probably got a, maybe a month or so left in his recovery. But seeing that on TV, just I, I can't really describe how it, I felt. But I'm like, oh, like. Because people talked about the Lafreniere situation, and New York didn't want to give up Lafreniere because he could would have maybe possibly got hurt. And lo and behold, Doc Doc goes out in the preseason game, and he and he jammed his wrist. And we won't get into details, but how did you how did your team like just explain to the offside viewers how that all went down? And I know. Everyone in Canada, like just their heart sank to the bottom of the floor. They didn't have to be Black Hawk fans. Uh, it 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 just it was devastating to see. And just just tell me how it all went down when he came off the ice, and the, just maybe reveal some of the procedures that uh, happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, without getting into any you know personal uh, you know medical details on that injury, I think what you see in a case like that, especially with your captain is it becomes a rallying point for your club and it becomes something that a team that's already tight becomes tighter because of that, because they see their captain who, you know, is a heart and soul guy. He was so good to all the players in the room, so good to all the staff. He's such a mature guy, brought such an unreal approach, um, you know, to our program coming back from the NHL. And, you know, when you see a guy like that, get injured who plays that role you know your leader it definitely brings your team together very very quickly and it's a united cause that you you know let's win it for Kirby and um, you know we know how badly Kirby wanted to be a part of the tournament and in his own way he stayed involved behind the scenes you know he was in constant contact with his teammates you know he made sure that if they needed someone to talk to he would talk to them, and you know, he continued to be that leader, even though he wasn't able to be that leader on the ice. And it's, it was pretty, you know, out of a a serious incident like that and and a long-term injury, it was interesting to see how mature he remained and how much of a leader he made, he remained and, and how much pride he continued to take in being the captain of the team, even though he physically wasn't able to go to battle with his teammates and you know, one thing that we made sure to do was leave his jersey and his stall um, hung up throughout the whole tournament. So guys always, we always had that presence in the room, right? He wasn't physically there, but he was there. And yeah, it, uh, he's a great, he's a great guy. Yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with Kirby a couple times now through, um, you know, top prospects games or different Hockey Canada events. And, you know, he's from just down the road here in Fort Saskatchewan. And he's, uh, he's a good, he's a good guy, man. Chicago has got a great a great young leader there. And, and he's got the opportunity, obviously in that organization to learn from some very, very successful people and some very successful leaders, right? And Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and and those guys and, and Brent Seabrook. And um, they're they're lucky to have them. And, you know, it's easy to say, like, you, you never want to see anybody get hurt, but especially your captain in an event like that, it, it, it definitely, it's tough. It's a tough one, um, but he handled it Incredibly well, and uh, yeah, you know, I wish him all the best in his recovery. And hopefully, he's on the ice soon. And uh, I know he's in good hands there in Chicago, so
0: no teams definitely have to go through a diversity. And like I just mentioned, it was tough to see Doc go down, but I know another player wasn't able to fulfill his shoes. But everyone's got to step up and play a possible role like Doc did. And, and it's unfortunate the outcome that, that happened at the end of the tournament, but. You know we're we're all proud with, with silver and you guys can't hang your heads uh, just because you won silver. It's it's a it was a great accomplishment and you, you 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 brought home a great experience. But is there anything else you'd like to add in your your world junior experience and throughout the last number of years? And you you just mentioned your Memorial Cup win. How how special was that? And how special was that Oilers team or Oil Kings team? Uh, that you were part of. I believe it was 2014 that happened. Yeah,
1: yeah just to quickly touch on the Hockey Canada uh, experiences. I mean, they do such a good job looking after their players and looking after their staff. And, and you know what? Making sure that the families are, are well taken care of and they're well looked after too, because it's a huge commitment for everybody, right? To Christmas is a time where everybody gets together and you spend a lot of time with your family. And, um, you know, Hockey Canada does a fantastic job in, in engaging the families in, in what we do every year and especially in the COVID year. You know, families uh, sent surprise messages of congratulations and, and best wishes to the players. We had our staff families all sent in messages and stuff. So it's, you know, it's it's nice to, to have that little extra motivation. But, you know, turning the clock back a little bit to the, the the successful run that we had as Oil Kings between the 2012, 13, and 14 seasons. I mean, it was a, a time in our league where, I mean, you have – the same two teams playing the final for three years in a row. Uh, you know, we beat Portland in game seven in 2012 uh, on home ice at Rexall place, which was, it was, it was crazy, man. Like we had about 13, 14,000 fans in there on a Sunday afternoon in May. And, you know, you're on the ice waiting for the trophy presentation and you look up and you see all the banners from the eighties Oilers and all the retired numbers. And you pinch yourself. You're like, is this really happening? And, <laughs> No, the next year, we, were, we had an even better team, I think, the next year. But unfortunately, we, we lost a few guys to injury early in the playoffs. And um, Portland knocked us out in, in six games. And, and then the following year, we ended up playing Portland again. Uh, I, I joke with their training staff there that we basically played a best of, uh, best of three series. And uh, we won the first one. They won the second one. And the third one, um, we had uh, – <laughs> I'll never forget this game as long as I live. Game six at home again, uh, Sunday afternoon, Mother's Day. Rink is just rocking. We have two two two-goal leads, blow the lead twice, uh, end up losing uh, in in overtime, Have the quick turnaround to go back to Portland to play game seven. Um, No uh, visiting team had ever won game seven of the Western Hockey League Championship on the road, and we did it that night. So that was incredible, you know, to – be able to do that in that environment against that team. Um, you know, with all the adversity we'd faced 24 hours before, I mean, you blow two, two, uh, two goal leads twice in a game. And, you know, the average team I think would buckle under that pressure in game seven and get run out of the rink. But our guys just were like, no, there's no way we're losing this. And, you know, we carry into London. Um, all we heard the whole time in London was, you know, Guelph, Guelph, Guelph. And, and Guelph had a fantastic team that year and they, they handed it to us when we played them in the first game. I'll give them credit; they were really good. They they got on us, and but we continued to get better throughout that tournament. I mean, we had two incredible games against Valdor. Uh, one we lost in double OT, and we play them again in the semifinal in triple OT. Curtis Lazar scores, you know, probably the most famous goal in Oil Kings history. Has one of the best celebrations as he's just skating down the ice by himself, pulls his glove off, and wipes the the stressful sweat off his forehead and you know, we get Guelph again in the final and, and the game didn't start very well for us. We're down early and we're killing penalties early, but the strength of our team that year was our resolve and our, our unwillingness to ever give in and cave in when things started getting hard around us. And we had an incredible group of leaders on that team that year. Uh, you know, Griffin Reinhardt, Curtis Lazar, Hendrick Samuelson, Mitch Mraz, you know, Tristan Jari, our, our starting goalie, like those guys were unbelievable. And, you know, they, uh, we had a little bit of a driving force behind us, too. I mean, the, the year, the summer prior, uh, a former teammate of ours, Christian Pels, uh, an Oiler draft pick, you know, uh, he drowned in a tragic accident in Latvia. And a lot of our core guys have played with Pelsey And, you know, our model that year became play for Pelsey And we made sure his jersey went everywhere we went. And, you know, you, you hear those those you know, uncanny stories about the guardian angel or that little good luck charm, or someone's watching over you. And man, I'm telling you, I have no doubt that that guy was, he was on our shoulders that whole year and especially that tournament. And one of the coolest things that happened on the bus, you talked about bus rides earlier. So the bus ride back from the rink in London to the hotel. Um, Mitch Mraz got a, a text message from uh, Christian's dad in Latvia who had been watching the game and had watched, you know, uh, followed us the whole season. And uh, he read it aloud on the bus. Like, our guys were hooting and hollering, and Mitch is like, hey, I got a text to share with you guys. And he read it, and it from uh, Mr. Pelson and said, thank you so much for honoring my son's memory. And, man, the bus just fell silent. And it was at that point, I think, our guys realized just how important it was that we were able to do that win or lose, but we were able to honor his memory that whole season. And it definitely was a, was a driving force towards our success.
0: I asked Ryan, the assistant coach um, during our bus ride last week. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, how, how fun are the bus rides? And he's like, man, the, it, it helps bring teams together. And it's, it's, i i really believe and i already explained this but it 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 helps just bringing guys together and and it's the junior experience it's it i've been in on teams before where there's there's no bus ride you're basically finding your own way to the rink or your parents drive you to the rink and and you go you go to the rink and they're all sitting in the locker room not talking to each other and uh, i'm now seeing like the guys are all like gelling. They're talking about whatever, and it's that's the whole junior experience. And I, I know you've experienced that too. And I, I want to get into Dawson Mercer and Alex Newhook. How how special was it to have them as Newfoundlanders on Team Canada? I know they were on TSN there, and they were kind of providing us Canadians with some Newfoundland slang, but. Uh, how special was did it? Was it extra special to have Newhook and Mercer in that locker room, uh, especially being from Newfoundland? Uh,
1: yeah, it was. Uh, okay. When I when I look back on the event, it's definitely one of the highlights. You know, being able to share that opportunity with with uh, Alex and with Dawson and. I mean, as far as young men go, you really couldn't ask for two better ambassadors uh, for the province and for the sport of hockey in Newfoundland. And, I mean, their, their work ethic on and off the ice is second to none. Um, you know, they're unbelievable teammates. They're, they're the type of player that people gravitate towards. I mean, you know, Alex is a little bit more of the serious one of the two but I mean, Dawson, I don't know if that guy's ever had a bad day in his life and, you know, he's always smiling. He's always upbeat and, and that's infectious. Right. And when you have that type of personality, regardless of where someone's from, but when you have that type of personality in your room, it's just, it drives your room, right. That you become the motor for the pulse. And uh, those two kids are unbelievable, man. And, uh, you know, we had some, we had some good laughs uh, along the way. And, you know, when, uh, I I joked about with the two of them that, you know, fellas, we're going to have to have like a Newfoundland kitchen party or something some night here. (laughs) And and, uh, we never, we never had the opportunity to do it, but with the event being where it was and being in Edmonton and, and, you know, with me uh, being an everyday employee, essentially in that, in that facility and knowing the guys that were doing the music and doing the game presentation. And I don't know if you could pick up on it on TV, but um, I had mentioned about this kitchen party and, they uh, they said okay well we'll play something for you and then they started playing this uh, this version of of Heave Away by the Fables that um, had a little bit of a techno kind of twist on the end of it but when they played it the first night Merce kind of looked back at me he's can you believe they're playing this and the next thing you know everyone is like banging their sticks on the boards they're kicking the boards it became kind of something so they played it every game from that point on and you know, with the night that He scored, when he came back uh, after he missed a couple of games, the DJ played the Islander, which is another, you know, classic Newfoundland and Labrador song. And uh, it was – that was our kitchen party, man. Like, we had a couple of good tunes, and everybody was kind of, st- you know, stomping along to it. and But, it, you know, it was an incredible experience. And to be able to share it with those two guys and, and just seeing – um, you know, how important it, it was to to everybody in the country because of what we'd all gone through with COVID. But, you know, especially back home in Newfoundland, I mean, we all know, I mean, the times are tough there. I mean, the economy's not great. and I mean, we're not a political show or anything here, but, you know, it, it provided uh, a spark and, and, and a bit of light in an otherwise dark time for people coast to coast. And to be able to share that with those two kids is something I'll, I'll never forget. And, you know, we have already... We still keep in touch regularly, and you know, hopefully, there's an opportunity if the Atlantic Bubble ever ceases to exist, and we don't have to quarantine for 14 days. I'll, I'll get home again at some point. We can get together for a round of golf and, and reminisce a bit about the tournaments. So,
0: when I know Newhook is with Boston College and Mercer's doing his thing, do you, when do you see those two guys? Maybe I know Newhook is maybe will be in the league sooner or faster than uh, mercer with the colorado avalanche but when, when do you see both of those guys cracking each of their nhl teams lineups uh newhawk with the colorado avalanche and mercer's with the new jersey devils uh, uh is it safe to say you'll you can see mercer in the league faster than uh or sorry newhawk faster than Mer- mercer with new jersey
1: yeah maybe just from the just from the age difference standpoint but um one thing about, about those guys and a lot of these guys that play, you know, high level hockey and play in the, in the, national junior program, there's a willingness to, there's role acceptance, right? So all these guys come to us and they're their number one gunners on, on every team they play. And they adapt uh, to maybe playing a third line role or a fourth line role or a 13th forward role or a penalty killing role when they'd normally be on the power play and so on. So, I think having had that experience through Hockey Canada and, you know, learning that role acceptance, I think guys like, like those guys, when they do make the transition to pro, probably make it easier because they, they have a willingness to accept whatever role is given to them, right? They, not everyone's going to top drop into a first line uh, setting in, in the NHL. Um, so as long as, you know, you're willing to accept your role and kind of grind it out, I think it would be you'll probably see him sooner rather than later, right? Like I look at a guy like, you know, Tyson Jones played the world junior team a couple of years ago and he's a regular guy with Colorado now, right? And he, he's got, he accepted his role and he works hard night in and night out. And, and there's a lot of traits of that guy in a guy like Alex Newhook and and in a guy like Merce and, and yeah, I think, uh, I think Newfoundland will be splitting their allegiance between uh, the Avalanche and the Devils here for, for at least the foreseeable
0: future, I think. Without going on, Hockey DB? Who in the Oil Kings' dressing room was the biggest NHL star? Who's in the NHL right now? And the, maybe I, I wouldn't say biggest star. Um, everyone that walks into that room is equal. No one really stands out the the most. But which which guy w- played with the Oil Kings that's doing uh, doing well in the NHL right now?
1: Uh I would say you know I look at a guy like Tristan Jarry. Um, I mean, he's, he's worked it, he's put his time in, he's worked his way into a starting goalie role, uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, Laurent Passois, another goaltender is with Winnipeg. Okay, I mean, he's, he's, he's grinded his way to the show and and he's in a good spot there. And, you know, uh, Curtis Lazar is, he's having a little bit of a rebirth, uh, this season, which is great to see. And. But, you know, through it all, I think the guy that's probably been the most consistent guy that we've had go, go to the show has been Mark Kessick. Um, you know, he was our captain in 2012. Um, you know, he's uh, he was jokingly referred to as a Prius in uh, in Florida by Keith Dandel because he was a hybrid. He played D one night, he played forward the next. So, you know, Marky is uh, Marky's a great guy. And he's in Dallas now, I believe. And, um, you know, those are some really good examples of guys that have come through our, our doors in the last – you know, 10 years that I've been here and we've got some good guys coming too now, like Jake Neighbors, first round pick, the St. Louis Blues, Uh, you know, you got Dylan Gunther and and Sebastian Cosa who could, you know, both potentially be first round draft picks in in this year's draft, whenever that draft is going to be held. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of tradition come through our organization and there's a lot of really good players that are here now and that are on the way through. and, And it's, it really speaks to, Uh, the culture that our uh, general manager, Kurt Hill and our coaching staff and Brad Lauer and and, and Luke Pierce have helped establish. Um, You know what? We're spoiled though, Jamie, don't get me wrong. I mean, when you work in a facility and and your, your dressing room is across the hall from an NHL team and, you know, in, uh, in simpler times you could go out and you could watch a morning skate and watch Connor and Leon twirl around or, you know, what, Sidney Crosby when he comes to town and stuff like that. I mean, our guys are definitely in a, in, a, in a different environment than most junior teams, but I also think they realize how special it is to be in that environment, and they don't take that for granted, and they soak it up like sponges, and and that's why I think we've been able to produce some good and are continuing to produce some good NHL talent with the Oil Kings.
0: No, 100%. And before I forget, I want to ask how was it playing in the bubble being on the bench, being part of the world juniors, but no fans like with, with no fans. Was that, did, did that have an impact on, on the game at all? Like I know it was in Canada and maybe we could say, well, team Canada lost because they're in front of their home fans or there was, they were on Canadian soil and that maybe put some pressure on no Kirby doc. That was also said. And I don't believe no fans had an impact on that, that game. It, we all know like if you we follow hockey we know how that game ended up we know what happened and hey silver's not a bad thing but at the end of the day how i'm not really sure how to ask the question but how was i'm not really sure to use the word impactful or how was the atmosphere with no fans like how did the team react like was there yeah. Was there all? Did guys say, "Oh, I wish there was fans to jack me up," or like, how was how was the atmosphere with no fans?
1: I think, uh, and like for me, having spent time in the NHL playoff bubble and helping those teams out, I kind of knew what to expect. And um, you know, we had our sport performance coach, mental performance coach, Ryan Hamilton from New Brunswick. He worked for the Tampa Bay Lightning. and Still does work for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he knew what to expect. So, I think the what our players really embraced was creating that, own, creating their own energy, right, and creating their own buzz, and relying on each other to kind of keep that flow going all game. Um, it's a different animal, man. When you're in a building as big as Rogers Place and there's there's nobody in the stands, it can feel It can feel cavernous at times, but when you commit to a process and you commit to kind of creating your own energy and creating your own buzz and, and, you know, driving that emotional uh, side of things yourselves, I I think in in a way it, it'll never replace what a full building can do. And it'll never replace the energy that 18,500 can bring you any night. But I think our guys did a very good job of embracing that and, and, and driving that emotional energy themselves. And, you know, our coaches were unbelievable with it. I mean, us as trainers, we found ourselves at times probably a little bit more vocal than we would be on a, on a normal year. And, um, you know, we all had our little part to play in kind of keeping that, keeping guys up and keeping things going. So it was, uh, and they had, some, they had some crowd noise pumped in, like at certain points of the game. When you could feel momentum shifting, you know, the guys upstairs would dial up some crowd noise, and you know, it was uh it was interesting, but man, that gold horn is loud in an empty building. It's uh too bad we didn't get to hear it a couple more times in in the gold medal game there.
0: So you were you were actually a staff member on the top prospects game for team cherry. How is Team Cherry excuse me? Sorry, how is Don Cherry in person? He that year
1: (laughs) where was the game? The game was in Calgary that.
0: I'll but go Don back. I'll go back to the email there, but uh, the twenty fourteen prospects game.
1: So we had that year. Uh, it was in Calgary. Our coaches were Paul Reinhardt. Uh, oh God, I can't remember the other guy's name. But Don didn't uh, typically come out uh, west. He would just do the the eastern games and that, Oh,
0: like the Ontario but, or yeah. All that. But again. Oh, okay really
1: being able to be a part of that, that type of game and and having, you know, 40 of the best prospects in, in all of North America was, was an incredible experience. And I got to do that again in Red Deer, uh, a few years later. And, uh, you know, again, another unbelievable experience and you know, it's fun, right? I mean, you, uh, junior hockey opens a lot of doors for you and, and again, right place, right time around the right people. And, you, know, you, you get these
0: opportunities and it's uh it's fun it's definitely fun man what what a treat i uh, i'm from newfoundland myself i don't know if you can tell uh, i lost my accent cuz i moved away from gander when i was 3 years old and i, I have a good friend mike fines who's from uh, somewhere up in labrador somewhere's and to you, basically you had to move away from the island i i moved away when i was 3 so i i got a head start uh, from everybody else but man i i uh i got a hold of you there a couple months ago and i was like itching i was like man i i can i can't wait to uh talk to brian i know it's uh, he's part of the team canada and and doing his whl thing but do you got anything to say to to anybody in junior or um maybe in the queue or, you know, that want to move up, like what's your words of encouragement for myself, especially in where I'm uh, in junior, the A and junior B level for, uh, for words of encouragement. Yeah.
1: And and I think uh, what you need to do is, I mean, reach out to people, get, get to know people, the the better connected you can make yourself uh, the more aware you will eventually be of opportunities in other leagues and with other teams. And, um, you know, the hockey world, everyone likes to think the hockey world is big, but in reality, the hockey world is is small. And um, if you continue to work hard and, and, you know, you're you're honest and you're well-liked by your players and you're well-liked by your coaches and, you know, you're good at what you do, opportunity will present itself to you. The the key is to stay patient. And um, I actually had a conversation with – a, uh, a college class yesterday uh, at my old college in Sheridan College and you know the one thing I told those those uh, students was I mean don't be afraid to say no either right like um, don't take a job just to take a job take a job because you feel it's the right fit for you at the time and um, you know I shared some info with them like I've had other opportunities in other leagues that I turned down you know in pro hockey and, and, and at the National League level that you know, I'm glad I had the opportunity uh, to be a part of the process, but ultimately for me at the time, it was, it was, no was the right answer. Um, You know, do I have regrets about it? No, I'm hundred percent confident in my decisions and I never look back on anything like that, but um, you know, hopefully an opportunity presents itself for me again at some point down the road, but for people that are aspiring to get to the major junior level and beyond, you know, make your connections, work hard, you know, build a good reputation and and a good network and you know when opportunity knocks answer the door and you know if if you don't like it don't be afraid to say no and if you like it jump at it man like you gotta life's too short right so
0: and the st where the st john's maple leafs were in st john's and you were in newfoundland that that opened the door is an ahl team and i'm i'm dying to move up but i i uh there's a window not closed yet here in in uh, Coal Harbor, so I'm I'm taking the bull by the horns and inspired by you and I. Uh, I follow Nate Lapointe, who was on the Team USA. He's with Wisconsin, excuse me, with Wisconsin. And like I just said, Mike Fines is a true inspiration. He's six, almost. I wouldn't say 60s, but mid 50s, and um, close with Doug over in West uh, University of Western there in Ontario and they've been true inspirations. Like you just said, uh, connect with people, get to know people. And I don't know how life would be if, if COVID didn't happen, because I probably still working 60 hours a week away in New Brunswick. And now that I'm settled, I'm kind of doing this podcast thing with offside and helping my team or helping the Colts a lot more. I'm going to share this, this interview with uh, Clarkie and the gents over at the Rod Peterson show and Clark Monroe and Max have a great thing going with the Rod squad. So I, I do want to ask, do you have any good Regina Pats uh, Edmonton Oil Kings stories going into their barn or then coming into your barn? I know they're in Regina, there, Saskatchewan. So I, I just wanted to ask you if you had a possible uh, story between the yeah. Regina Regina Pats,
1: I actually have a, a really good one comes to mind. It's not a long one, but it's uh, one of my my very first road trip with the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, when I got hired here in 2010. Uh, well, oh, it's a long time ago. Uh, we went to Regina, and uh, that night it was. Now I, I had a year previous in the league in Tri City in, in Kennewick, but this was my first time working. Uh, you know, junior hockey in Canada essentially, and we played the Pats, and man, it was it was a good game. It was getting a little bit chippy. You could see it coming. You knew what was going to happen. We had a line brawl, and we had a goalie fight at center ice at the Brand Center. And I remember looking down the bench at my equipment guy like, yep, yeah, yeah, this is junior hockey, man. This is the stuff that you, <laughs> you've seen old videos of, and you've heard old stories of. So, you know, my first road trip uh, with the Oil Kings and the Pats, we've got a... Uh, goalie fight at center ice, our goalie was Cam Lanigan, and I want to say the Pats goalie was Damien Ketlow, and uh, I believe he may have dislocated his shoulder when he fell at the end of the fight, so it was, there was so much going on, you didn't know where to look, it was just absolute pandemonium, it was like the uh, WWE Royal Rumble come to life on skates, and yeah, that was my first memory of uh, playing a game at the the Brand Center, so that's a good one there for you
0: maybe maybe Rod Pierce was covering that game but who knows I, I, I wanted to get that in there because they're situated in Regina Saskatchewan and but man it's been a pleasure thank you very much I know you're in quarantine so I'm glad I caught you when you did and let's uh let's connect up again down the road I'll, I'll uh anytime I want to talk I know I can hit you up on Twitter how can people find you on Twitter?
1: Yeah. So Twitter, you can get me at B underscore Cheeseman. Um, And then I believe the same thing on Instagram. I should know that and should be somewhat social media savvy in this day and age. But, but yeah, uh, you know, reach out. If there's anybody uh, that's watching this or listening to this that, you know, is an an aspiring uh, athletic therapist or wants to get involved in junior hockey or, at a lower level, I mean, my my inbox is always open, and if I can't give you the right answer, I, I hopefully I can uh, point you in the direction of someone who can. So I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of good people in this game, coast to coast, and uh, you know, I think I've gotten to the point in my career right now, Jamie, as you can see by the gray in the beard here, that uh, it's time for me to give back a little bit too, and then to help some yeah. other people. No, I'm, yeah.
0: I'm I'm 37 years old, and the equipment manager in the junior junior level, man, it's. It, it, you don't have to be an athletic therapist or if you just give back to your community. And, you know, I'm, I'm from Sackville, Nova Scotia. I grew up watching the junior B Blazers and never, never thought in a million years I'd be in Cole Harbor, but man, the, the group of, uh, Jonathan Boone actually played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League many years ago and he's from Belle Island. Justin is from Belle Island and Ryan's, I believe Ryan's from Newfoundland as well. And To have three, three or four four Newfoundlanders on the team, man, it's it's something special and uh, yeah, it's it's inspiring to see you and, and everybody else and uh, someday I'll have my own dressing room where I'll be able to kind of go to a dressing room right now where you kind of share a room and i'm jealous i'm i'm always jealous of what where you get to work and where mike gets to work but you know like you just said patience and i've heard so many stories the the, the gentleman now with the halifax moose heads uh, alex ryan he was uh signing up for a course at saint Evex x and saw an ad on the board and he's like oh a uh, student equipment guy and he signed up and Bam! It 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 blew up from there, and it, you got to be in the right place, c- connect with the right people, and your your time will come. And I'm glad you used the word patience because, like, some days I don't have patience, and I I want I want Mike to get that job at the Newfoundland Growlers, and I know.